0: Well, it's pretty clear that Super Storm Sandy has got nothing on Super Lord Jesus. And um, I also just want to add my two cents in thanking um, Pastor Lloyd Pulley, a friend of mine, and uh, the Calvary Chapel and all the workers present. Uh, You've given a good name to the Lord. You've made his reputation and his fame greater and and uh, it's just a privilege to come for a couple of days and see that. I've been invigorated by it. I also just want to say it's a privilege for me to stand up here when Jean-Luc and the band was leading worship. I remember the night when Jean-Luc came forward at our church years ago in Albuquerque and gave his life to the Lord and how the Lord has used him around the world in so many great ways. And I'm glad he's a part of, of uh, what, what the Lord's doing back here. Um, also, I just want to, I've got to say this. Whoever it is in the choir that says amen a lot, I love you. I want to take you home. I love it when people give a good amen. Amen? amen. All right. Did you bring your Bible to church? Good thinking. Turning your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Every year, uh, magazines uh, like to, at the end of the year, do a thing called the year in review, where they talk about what has happened in the last year and what they project is going to happen in the future. Sometimes they're quite accurate and sometimes they're abysmally incorrect. Sometimes they like to predict far into the future. I'll give you an example. In 1987, it's 26 years ago, Apple computers predicted the iPhone. They featured a little prototype in their documents, a promo piece showing a tablet that looks more like an iPad. It had a front-facing camera, it had a multi-user interface, and they even said it would be able to do voice commands for the Internet. That was 1987. 1987 in the year 1900 a uh, several magazines put out an article by John Elfrith saying what will happen in the next 100 years and he predicted digital color photography listen this is from the year 1900 and I quote photographs will be telegraphed from any distance if there's a battle in China a hundred years from now snapshots of its most striking events will be published in newspapers an hour later. Photographs will reproduce all of nature's colors. The same article predicted that within a hundred years Americans would be two inches taller. He was right. They were two inches taller. But then you'll get those who predict the future but they're horribly inaccurate. In uh, 1967, experts predicted that technology in the United States would be so powerful that by the turn of the century, the American average work week would be 22 hours and that the average American would only work 27 weeks per year and that the biggest challenge we would face is what we're going to do with all of our leisure time. We could only wish. It's been well said that we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And Paul the Apostle, who writes Ephesians, believed that. And he was a guy who, for three years, pastored the church in Ephesus, but he's writing this from a prison cell. And he's writing to encourage those who are facing an unknown future. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 5, just a few verses from that great book. Ephesians 5, verse fifteen, sixteen, 16, and 17. This is what it reads. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In those three verses... The Apostle gives us three principles for how to look at the future and how to navigate the future with confidence, with boldness. Uh, Somewhere in Italy, there's a harbor that is so dangerous to navigate through because of the rocks and the shoals that um, in ancient times, a few hundred years ago, uh, the sailors decided the only way to navigate this harbor is to put in three poles with three lights so that... When the ships come into the harbor, when they line all of those lights up and they become one, they know they're on a good course. And so it is with these three principles in Ephesians chapter 5. If you want to look to the future with confidence and with boldness, you line these three things up and you're going to have smooth sailing. Not smooth sailing necessarily all the way through life, but you're going to make it to your destination. Here's the first principle walk carefully. Walk carefully. Or as Paul says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now that word circumspectly, that's not a word we use a lot. You probably didn't use it today. Or, or during the week when you went shopping or picked up the kids, you didn't use the word circumspectly. It, it's an older word that comes from two Latin words that means to walk while you're looking. Or to look around as you go forward. That's the idea here. The idea is walk or live with precision, with exactness, or as I said, walk carefully. Now we uh, learn pretty early on when we learn to walk when we're just little kids, our parents will say almost immediately, be careful, walk carefully, look both ways before you cross the street. So we're taught by our parents to walk carefully. I'll never forget when I was in grade school and I took my first field trip to a dairy. And the bus opened up and all those kids got out and the dairy building was across a cow pasture. And so the teacher had all the kids line up and she said, now kids, listen to me carefully. You have to look down as you are making every single step and be very careful where you step because there are cows out in this pasture and they do things that you will find out if you don't look where you're walking. Well, I went home later on that day and I discovered that I hadn't walked very circumspectly as I examined the bottom of my shoes. So so Paul's first pole in the harbor is live or walk with precision. Be careful about the choices that you make. Just before I came here this evening, I noticed on the news, it was highlighted this man, Nick Walenda. Remember him a year ago? He walked over the Niagara Falls on a tight wire. Now, he comes from a generation of uh, the flying Walendas, they're called. It's a whole family of acrobatic actors that would go across tight wires, uh, suspended Several hundred feet off the ground with no harnessing. Now, he made it last year across Niagara Falls. 1,800 feet he walked. And ABC News, who filmed it, insisted that he tie in because they didn't want to be responsible for filming a splat if he missed. But he's predicting that he's going to walk over a gorge in the Grand Canyon without being tethered in. you got to know that this guy is going to walk Circumspectly. Every single step is going to be measured and it's going to be very careful. So Paul says, walk circumspectly, but then notice that he qualifies it not as fools, he writes, but as wise. Now, wise living, being a wise person, is not the same as knowledge. You know, we're a very knowledgeable culture. We have gained a lot of knowledge in the past hundreds, thousands of years. It's estimated that if you were to represent the accumulated knowledge of humanity from the beginning of recorded history to the year 1845 by one inch, then what we've learned from 1845 to 1945 is three inches. What we've learned from 1945 to 1975 is the height of the Washington Monument in DC. And we have exponentially increased that since then in present days. But you can be a smart fool. You can have lots of head knowledge and know lots of facts but you can be foolish at the same time. Paul the Apostle writes in 2nd Timothy about a group of people that is always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now listen to this. The idea of a fool in the Bible doesn't refer to intellectual acumen It refers to being an unbeliever, to rejecting God. The fool, the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Literally, the fool has said in his heart, no God. It's not that he's denying the existence of God. He's saying, no God for me. It's like if you were to go to a restaurant and have several cups of coffee and then the waitress keeps coming by and trying to pour coffee in your cup and you put your hand over it and you go, no coffee. You're not denying the existence of coffee. You're saying, no more for me. That's the idea of that psalm. The fool has said in his heart, no God. I don't want God to enter or penetrate my life. So what Paul is simply saying here is be wise where you walk and don't live like an unbeliever, don't think like an unbeliever, don't make choices like an unbeliever. You can be a theological Christian and yet a practical atheist. By living every single day with all of the choices you make and all of the places you go and all the things you do without the realization as though God didn't exist. So that's the first pole in the harbor. Walk carefully. Here's the second pole. Watch faithfully. Walk carefully, but now watch faithfully. Or in our text, he says, redeeming the time, verse 16, chapter 5, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now we are creatures of time. I have a watch. I have a phone that is even more accurate than the watch. And we're always about what time does this start? What time does this end? What time do I have to be there? We, we um, work around the time element of The earth in its journey, yearly journey around the sun, 365 days, 5 hours, 49 minutes, 12 seconds, roughly. That's how we gauge how things work. And time is a precious commodity. According to the Bible, the average lifespan is 70 years. In Psalm 90, we read, 70 years are given to us. Some may even reach 80, hallelujah. But even the best of these years are filled with pain and trouble, and soon they disappear and we are gone. Billy Graham was once asked, what has surprised you most about life? He said, it's brevity. Or as he would say, it's brevity. (laughs) It's so short. The average lifespan is 70 years. Now, if that's the case, that means I have only 4,425 days left to live. It puts things in a whole different perspective. Watch faithfully. A few years ago, People Magazine put out an article. It was called Dead Ahead, and it advertised a clock that you could buy for about $100, bucks, 99 dollars 95 It promise to tell you how much time you have left to live. Like anyone would ever want a clock like that in their life. But it, it was based upon the current average lifespan of a male, which is 75, the current average lifespan of a female, which is 80. And you program in your gender and you program in your age and it will tell you how much time you have left to live. Now, if that clock is correct, I now have 6,250 days left to live. So things are looking up for me. But when Paul says redeeming the time, he doesn't mean that kind of time. He doesn't use the Greek word chronos, chronological time. He uses the word kairos, which means opportunity or event time. Listen to it in the New Living Translation. So be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise, Make the most out of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. You get the point? The point isn't counting time. The point is make time count. Make whatever time you have left count. Use it as an opportune time. Once our life is over, all of the opportunities we're afforded on this earth are also over. In heaven, I'll never be able to tell a person about Jesus Christ. They'll all know him. In heaven, I'll never be able to pass out a gospel tract. In heaven, I'll never be able to show the love of Jesus Christ as you have in your hard work by rebuilding this boardwalk in this town. Those days of opportunities will be over. That's why Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. Some years ago, I looked at a book by Leslie Flynn called It's About Time. And he said something that just arrested my attention. He said in the beginning of the book, if you are 35 years old, you have 500 days left to live. And I said, this guy needs a math class. But this is how he explained it. If you're 35 years of age and you take away all of the time you will spend sleeping working, duties like hygiene, going to the doctor, odd chores around the house. All of those things you have, if you're 35, 500 days left to live. So now I've got about 170, 175 days left to live if I go by what he calculated. But then I... I have to look at all of that and say, actually, I'm wrong on all of those counts, because the Bible says, I can't count on living one more day. Life is a vapor. It passes away. There are no guarantees how long we're going to live. I might not have any time left. And Satan is the consummate time waster. One of the things he loves to do is to get us to waste our time. Imagine how much time has been wasted in sin and in all of the different activities, gossip and the like. Think of all the opportunities people have had that they pass by. So walk carefully. Watch faithfully. And third and finally, work thoughtfully. Work thoughtfully. Verse 17, Therefore, he writes, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. George Mueller, one of the heroes of my faith, at least in in the books that I've read, said 90% of life's difficulties will be overcome when our hearts are ready to do God's will, whatever that might be. I'm predisposed to do it. So Paul is saying, don't be unwise, but understand the will of the Lord. As you live your life, Know what God wants you to do. Now that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? Because I often discover I don't know what God wants me to do on all counts in my life, on all occasions. I'm sort of mystified by the will of God. I pray about this and I I hope for that, but I'm not always certain what the will of the Lord is. But this book, the Bible, that's why I said, did you bring your Bible to church? That's good thinking. This is God's will 101. We learn God's will by knowing God's word. The more we know God's word and the principles in it, we're going to know God's will. Now, here we are so oftentimes worried about the particulars of God's will, like what house should I buy? Who should I marry? What college should I go to? Where should I move? Where should I invest? Whatever those little things are. But we often overlook, let's call it the general will of the Lord. You know, the Bible says there are a few things that you don't even have to ask about that we know are the will of the Lord. Let me give you a sampling. We know from God's Word that God wants all unsaved people to be saved. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God is not willing that any should perish. That's the will of the Lord. He wants unsaved people saved, number one. Number two, God wants saved people to be holy people. Holiness to the Lord, it says up on the wall. That's the will of the Lord, especially in sexual areas. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, This is the will of God, your sanctification or holiness, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body. So it states that's the will of God. He wants unsaved people saved. He wants saved people holy. Number three, God wants holy people to be humble people. And in humble, I mean submitting to authority, even governmental authority. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether king as supreme or governors, for this is the will of God. God wants unsaved people saved. God wants saved people to be holy. God wants holy people to be humble. Number four, God wants saved, holy, humble people to suffer sometimes. It's a word we don't like to hear in America. But do you know that twice in the book of Peter, Peter talks about suffering according to the will of God. Because God wants to work on things in our lives. And number five, God wants all people to be thankful. All people to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So that's God's general will in the Scripture. I dare say, if we would just concentrate on His general will, all the other stuff would just sort of come naturally. All the other stuff about who should I marry, where should I go to school, what house should I buy, what car should I drive, what color car should I buy, all of that's just going to come naturally if you just concentrate on being faithful in what God has revealed. How different life would be if we worked on those. We'd be preaching to lost people. We'd be more set apart for Jesus Christ. We'd be humble and thankful. Can you imagine? We would never complain. How refreshing So look at it this way. Since time flies, it's up to you to be the navigator. Since time flies, it's up to you to be the pilot. Tomorrow I'm going to get on an airplane and go back to my house. Can you imagine how weird it would be, how foolish it would be if I get to the airport, make a connecting flight to Dallas, and there I am in Dallas for maybe 45 minutes, maybe an hour for a layover. If I were to go into the restroom and look around the restroom and go, I don't like the decor here. I think it needs to change. I could, I, I could see a throw rug right here in the bathroom and some nice pictures on the wall and maybe different color uh, of the fixtures. And so I'm going to redecorate the bathroom in the airport. You'd say, you're an idiot. That's foolish. And you'd be right. And why is that? Because that's not my home. I'm passing through. It's very transitory. I'm only there for an hour. And also, how foolish is it to go through this life and put all of our stock in just this place when we're just passing through? We're only here for a little period of time, so we have to think of these principles as we look into the future. That we would walk very carefully in the choices that we make. That we would watch very faithfully and use every opportunity for the Lord's sake and that we would work very thoughtfully. Actually I can predict your future. Here goes, you're all going to live forever, somewhere, I don't know where, but all of you here will live forever. Every single human being has eternal life. Depends where they want to spend it. By the choices they make here and now in the layover. But there is an eternity that is coming. And just like it would be foolish to redecorate a bathroom, it would be foolish for you to put all of your hope in this life alone and not think about the future, not think about eternity. And so as we close this service, we're going to pray and I'm going to ask you to think about your future, your eternity, and ask you honestly, do you know personally Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you're a religious person. I'm not asking you if you're a nice person or a responsible person or an upstanding community member. I'm simply asking you, are you sure that you know the Lord, that if you were to die this week, that you would be in the presence of God, that all of your sins are forgiven, that you're in good standing with God. Only you can answer that question and only you can make that choice. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this life is very, very transient. And we're so thankful that in just a few verses we get this very clear admonition to be very careful and intentional And deliberate about the choices that we make and the opportunities that are laid before us. And then we are told that we should live according to the will of the Lord. And we know, Lord, that you want unsaved people saved. I look back to my own life being raised in a religious home thinking that I was okay because I went to church but I lacked something real, something authentic, something personal. And I remember the night I gave my life to Jesus. I pray, Father, for those who have gathered here as they're thinking about their future. Probably most everyone here tonight knows you, but some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't personally know you. We don't know you yet. And we we yearn. There's something that we're longing for. We're thirsty for more. And only you can quench that thirst. Lord Jesus, you said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I pray you'd satisfy thirsty hearts. I pray also for those, Lord, who maybe made a decision years ago to follow Jesus. Maybe it was at a camp in high school or or later on where they felt something and it was a wonderful feeling and it was a wonderful moment, but their life hasn't been lived since then following you or in obedience to you. Bring them back home. With our heads bowed as we're thinking about these things, if you're here tonight and you don't know personally the Lord Jesus Christ, you've you've never said yes to Him. You've never given your life to Him. You've never made a conscious decision where you said, enough is enough. I'm leaving my past. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to the Lord and I'm going to ask Him to forgive me. I want something more than what I've already experienced. Or if you've wandered away and you want to come back home. In whatever camp you're in, if you are ready and I believe you are ready because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, to surrender your life or to come back home, I want you just to simply raise your hand up. I'd like to pray for you, but I got to know who I'm praying for. So, would you just raise your hand up high enough so I can see it? And keep it up for just a moment. God bless you. And anybody else, raise your hand up. You're saying yes to the Lord himself. Not not a church, not a denomination, not an organization, but to the living God. Anybody else? Raise your hand up. Right over here to my left. Lord bless you. And you, ma'am. Anyone else? Just raise that hand up. Yes, sir. God bless you. Who else? You're not here by accident. Right up in the front. Father, I want to thank you for these hearts. These hands, behind every hand is a story, a journey. It's very individual. There's tears, there's fear, there's trials, there's joy. But these are lives that you love. These are people you love and you want to redeem. And we pray, I pray, that you will do such a deep work in these lives that they will never be the same when they leave, as the person they were when they came. And they would know it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you all to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask you to do one final thing. If you raise your hand, I saw a few hands go up. i ask you to do one final thing. If you raised your hand, I saw a few hands go up.